Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Time Watchers. I'm one of your hosts, Clayton, joined as always by my good friend, Jesse. How's it going, Jesse? Good. Yeah, I had a fun Thanksgiving week. A lot going on. But yeah, it was a a good, good, productive week. What about yourself? Oh, I can't complain. Got to eat a lot of good food and relax so (laughs) that's always good got to watch another episode of our new favorite show (laughs) i feel like calling it new or or, well new is fine calling it favorite (laughs) is a little bit of a stretch i think but it may get there it may get there yeah it could get there uh before we get too far into it again this is the wheel of time watchers podcast we're a product of the nerdosphere each week we're going to be reviewing and discussing the uh, wheel of time from amazon prime this week we're discussing episode four uh, which is titled the dragon reborn it was a whopping 62 minutes of an episode and we get a lot in this episode. Uh, if you missed our first actual episode, which was last week, we went over the premiere of the show, which uh, goes over all three of the episodes that premiered its first week. Uh, go back and check that out if you want to hear what we had to say about that. Uh, that ended up being more of a, um, how do we say this? nicely more of a uh why did they do it this way uh discussion um but we're hoping and i think this episode may prove that this show is headed in a good direction um and yeah we'll i guess we'll just jump right into it what were your initial thoughts i think uh last week since it was our first episode and just because that's kind of how we typically do reviews across all of our nerdosphere content we started off uh, with just general impressions and spoiler free. I don't think that we really need to do that going forward. Cause if you're listening to this show, um, one, you're probably already watching the television show because the net, the show is named and described as a review show. And, uh, two, we've made it pretty clear that it's going to be spoiler full, which that's what I'm doing for this episode. Now, this episode will be full of spoilers. Um, and then later on in the episode, um, we'll get into book spoilers. So instead of doing like just general impressions, let's maybe just talk about this episode itself, get into the nitty gritty, nitty gritty, and then dive into differences with the books later on. Um, we'll see how that flows. So yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. So what'd you uh, think? What, how'd this so one hit I you? Actually, I actually liked it. Um, and it's, and by that, I mean, I understood more in this episode why they did some of the things that they did mm-hmm. uh, versus maybe compared to the first beginning three episodes, which is promising because it's something that you had hit on that earlier on that we were just hoping maybe the first three episodes were a stumbling block and all that good stuff. And as kind of the direction I'm feeling like it's going where maybe they weren't quite sure how to start it out because they felt like they needed to get the two rivers stuff out of the way. Um, And that's why we got kind of like a clunky beginning. But now that the characters have started going in the directions they're going, I feel like we are getting some stuff that makes more sense. And, and something I want to touch back on is that while I was frustrated with some of the stuff that was going on in the first three episodes, I was going to be okay with it all along, assuming that they had a rhyme and a reason for why they did it the way that they are. Mm -hmm. And I think 
without some of the things that happened in the first couple of episodes, such as like Perrin uh, killing his wife, it wouldn't make much sense for him to be having the conversation with the Tuatha on that he's having at the moment. And that's why that's like the type of stuff I want to continue to see because that that's the type of stuff that makes the diversions from what we liked in the books feel more impactful instead of meaningless. Mm -hmm. And then I have started to feel like some of the characters have kind of started growing into who I was hoping they were going to be Nynaeve in particular. Uh, I feel like had a really strong um, showing in this one. I think Moraine just continues to fit the bill for what you expect out of Moraine. Um, Lan is even falling into his role a little bit more where I was happy to see the witty banter between him and Nynaeve at times, which I thought was kind of cool. And I also feel like they got the, the personalities and or personas of the odd jaws correct so far. Like I feel like the people within the three main odd jaws that we've seen so far, because we have seen a yellow, but they were tied up to stake getting burnt alive. So that's not really much going on there. I feel like you're kind of starting to see the personalities shine through for the role that they're playing in their odd jaws. So overall the episode for me was, was pretty positive. I agree. Um, this, I really enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't really... Um, so, like you said, and we went over it ad nauseum in the last episode, there was just so much in the first three episodes that made us th- say, why? <laughs> why this way? Uh, that we couldn't really enjoy it uh, the way we probably would have liked. Uh, but this episode didn't really have that. We got a ton from the Aes Sedai side with the conversations between Karene and uh, Moraine and then Moraine with uh, Alana. Um, We got a ton of cool Aes Sedai talk. Uh, They finally, I was actually going to mention in this episode that uh, I guess we're just not going to have, they're just dropping like the five powers because they haven't mentioned it or talked about it or even showed it in, but um we have them mention that they have him bound uh, with air so he can't hear. Um, so that's our first kind of foyer into um, the five uh, different powers that make up the one power and how they weave the different five powers in to make the different stuff. I also really like um, how we're starting to see, even though it was implied kind of with dialogue from Leandrin in the first episode that the one power is more of one thing in this universe rather than split. Uh, We do start to see some of that insinuation that it is split for the male and female halves because um, Moraine mentions how she can't see uh, Logan's weaves. Um, She can't see uh, him wielding the one power, which is an ongoing theme where uh you know the male and female half are different they're separate you can't they can't see each other's uh but they can still affect each other with it so that kind of when it gets into the nitty-gritty of magic and the battling of magic like that plays a huge part so it was kind of cool to see them start to lay that foundation because we hadn't seen that yet mm-hmm. um i completely agree Nynaeve really falls into her character in this episode um, I'm just, I'm really digging her, uh, Zoe Robbins. I'm digging her. The only thing is we still don't have 
braid tugs and i know Dude, there was like one scene in particular when i was watching this one when she's standing up on the hillside looking down at everyone kind of like on the cliff face mm-hmm. and i was like just tug your hair yes, please just please like begging tug. begging the screen for it to happen because it seems so natural to fit right there right that, yes. that's like a scenario you'd see her like instinctually doing that and obviously i would assume at this point they're not going to go with that so i need to stop like right i think we would have probably seen it by now um Um, i do i really like her and lan or we're already seeing them connect i love it uh i still don't think that they've quite locked in lan as a character though because the way he is with the other warders isn't really the land that we know if you're a fan of the book so i'm just kind of waiting for him to hit the stride like these other characters kind of have at this point. I really think that I think that Tom uh, is, have, was great in this episode. Agreed. Um, we get to hear about Owen from him instead of from, uh, I think we actually learn it from Basil Gill in the book um, when he's yeah. talking to Rand. Uh, yeah. See, I don't remember. See, I feel like we, I, I wish I could remember. It makes me want to go back and read the books because of the tiny little details. I wish I, remembered off the top of my head because i almost feel like you get it in a roundabout way without him sharing it right away with everyone like he's talking Mm -hmm. to somebody else about it so like we find out with i think i could have sworn we found out about it when he's talking to somebody that isn't the kids right away or the main characters and then it ends up getting kind of like leaked into it throughout the rest of the series where it ends up becoming kind of like an underlying strain between tom and the Aes Sedai to some extent yeah but i but i just don't remember um we uh see rand and matt we get a little bit more of matt i don't want to go too deep into like the differences of the book yet because um i kind of want to maybe get to the point where the first half is for people who haven't read the book and then the second half is for people who do read the book just to make it a little bit more accessible to people but I really did like, uh, we didn't get them as much in this episode, but I liked what I saw. Uh, Rand is, uh, had that crazy dream, which is more in line with uh, some of the dreams that yes. uh, we had seen uh, in the books. Um, it was a little bit more detailed, and we can get more into the dream later with more spoiler talk for the books. Uh, but I'm still kind of desiring a little bit more from that front. One thing that, uh, and I'm talking a lot, I'll let you talk here in a second. I'm sorry. You're good. Uh, but one thing that, uh, fellow Nerdosphere host Corbin, my brother had mentioned was he doesn't really feel a sense of what the dark one is or that it's even an ominous presence. He feels like it's just some boogeyman that's mentioned. And I think that, that's one thing that the dreams in the book really help uh, impair onto the reader mm-hmm. how close the Dark One is to these, uh, you know, Emmons Fielders and how real uh, the Dark One's power is and how afraid they are. And I don't think that that's being portrayed. At least it's not, that's something I hadn't even thought about, you know, watching the show because I already know about it. But apparently, at least for him, who has never read the books, they're not portraying that uh, side of it quite good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I feel like, again, this is a directional choice that they have decided to do with the show um, because of what we've kind of hit on a little bit earlier on with the idea 
that the mystery behind who the dragon reborn seems so overplayed because, and, and I say that lightly because obviously that's something that plays well on television where this is a way to draw you into the characters and to maybe even set you up on, Hey, I'm team Rand, I'm team Perrin, whatever it is, whatever team you're deciding to hit your wagon to, I get that that plays that way, but the mystery is such a weird thing to add in there when it doesn't, I would understand if you'd gone seven of the 13 books, not knowing who the dragon reborn is, why you'd want to play on this, but because it's established so early on in the book series, it feels like such like a a thing to that didn't need to be focused upon. And it's kind of that same way where I think they're kind of going with the mystery behind a lot of things to continually draw people along. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that you're getting that same idea with, not really expressing who the dark one is or what the dark one is up to this point, because it, I think they feel like it's adding to the, like the mysterious appeal of the show that they're trying to lead you along with. Um, And I, again, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I do feel like there could have been some establishment and I feel like it could have even been established in the first episode where maybe they did like a brief history at one point when Moraine's like showing up and talking about the dragon reborn kind of like when she's on like or like revealing the map in the first uh episode like very beginning and she's putting on her armor and everything if maybe she like kind of talked about that a little bit like hey there's been this struggle for for each turning of the wheel where there's this happening and this is what happened last time where you kind of have more of an overall arcing idea of what is going on, which kind of hits back to the struggles with, and I kind of wanted to get your, your thought process on this. Seeing this one episode makes me almost wish the first three episodes had been done one at a time, because I feel like my opinion on the show was tainted a little bit because I was trying to process so much where there were so many changes that happened so quickly in the first three episodes that I was left being like, oh, they didn't do either well. But I wonder if it had been doled out one episode at a time, if I would have been able to stomach it a little bit more being like, okay, maybe it'll get there. Maybe it'll get there. And it bums me out because I do feel like looking back on our first three episodes, we were maybe a little bit too harsh on what we were saying because we, there was part of us that every time we talked about it, we're like, we want it to get better, but it wasn't for the first three episodes. But then this one gives me major hope. Like we talked about that. They're going in the correct direction with the decisions that they've made. And it gives me hope that they can continue to write the ship and make the decisions that they decided to vary with be more impactful, which is what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But so I can see where you're coming from, but I still kind of stand by what I said last week, where I think that they made the decision to release all three because they knew watching it or somebody whoever you know, somebody higher up knew this is a clunky beginning. This is a yeah. tough cold open. So while I while I, uh, I see what you're saying, uh, if we had a week to digest each episode, would we have, you know, gone a little bit easier on it? I I don't know that that's the case. And in fact, if they had done it, and we had had the same reaction by three weeks, you know, by week four when this episode yeah. hits and it's so good, are we even like 
into it that's anymore true. you know what i mean that's true yeah so i understand where you're coming from but i kind of i still feel like they did the did the right thing because it it is such a, a clunky beginning and i think the only real negative thing i have to say about this episode is the odd pacing again because we especially when you compare it to progress in the book the first three episodes are a sprint to over halfway into the story of the first book and then you have and that's not just when you compare it to the story progress in the book like the first three episodes are a sprint they fuck ton of shit happens in the first three yep. episodes and then all of a sudden boom we hit the fourth episode it's really good but it all kind of takes place each character's uh story arc in this episode takes place in basically one spot yeah whereas the first three episodes was non-sap run 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 then all of a yeah, sudden it was boom, everywhere we're just in one spot which is fine it worked it just i think speaks to the struggles that they may have had starting the show mm-hmm which I think goes back to, and again, not to like um, toot my own horn on this, but I almost feel like it goes back to the idea of, I think a far less clunky open opening would have been to establish who the dragon reborn is. And then maybe give those three episodes of like a quick recap as to how we got here. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost kind of like what they're doing anyways, when you're talking about the pacing here, right? Where, it feels weird to rush through the first three episodes to cover so much ground in the books and then to slow an entire episode down where it takes place over two days. Yeah. It's like, man, like we saw them leave from point a to and skip to like point F like <laughs> right, yeah. in the first three episodes. And then we've been stuck on point F now for an entire episode. And that's what felt good about it though, because in it, you can even go back and show how well they did it with Loghain at the beginning of this episode, right? Yeah. Where they establish how he had like a short rise to power. And then it makes sense as to why they're showing the King of Gildon later um, when they're trying to break him out, all of that type of stuff where that's how it could have been done very well. Like give us like a short snippet as to why, again, let's just say Egwene for just for example purposes, let's like show why Egwene is where she is at when the dragon reborn is revealed. Right. And that to me seemed like such a more clean way to do it instead of like ramping through three episodes where you feel like you don't, you're getting backstory on the characters, but you still don't understand the characters all that much. Yeah. That was Um, another thing that's kind of been consistent with people that I've asked uh, Corbin again included who are watching the show but haven't read the books they mm-hmm. don't it's kind of a consensus that they don't necessarily feel super attached to the characters mm-hmm. because everything's happened so quick so I mean but it is what it is at this point we've we're through the beginning now and I think episode four kind of shows that they can deliver a good show going forward I just um there's, I do have a couple nitpicks as far as the direction, like the whoever the director is, the director of or the director of photography. It's very uh, mediocre at times. And what I mm-hmm. one example is, and you had already brought it up when Nynaeve is standing on a cliff alone, staring down at this camp, this whole like kind of wide pan shot that really just screams to me that somebody wanted to try to get a cool shot and there's really no like your brain thinks why is she up there yeah or even why is this camp like 
parked along this cliff that could be easily ambushed. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's hard to describe, I guess, if you haven't seen it, but it just, it reminds, it's another instance that reminds me of like almost CW quality, yeah. um, just mediocre direction. I think the one that got me, the the part that got me feeling that way has been the action sequences so far. Like if you go back, so um, one of the things that I'm talking about, because as you know, I've been dissecting these live as I'm watching them, Mm -hmm. posting them on TikTok, all that type of stuff. One of the things that I actually said during the first Trollic fight was I wanted to see something because you almost feel like it's jumping around like a a Jason Bourne fight where it's like, you're not focusing on much. And I would even say that with this fight scene, when they're fighting in the woods and you finally start to see the Aes Sedai's power when it comes to fighting off essentially an army of people where I wish that they focused a little bit more on that to make it less like the explosions. And then do you just see like a random body flying through the air? Mm -hmm. Um, That felt kind of clunky to me where it's almost like it goes back to what you were saying earlier, where you feel like the allotment of this $10 million per episode is going somewhere, but you feel like it's not going to the right spots sometimes. Exactly. And it it goes with that where it's almost like they want to have these cinematic moments, like with Nynaeve looking down on the camp, like you were talking about, but it doesn't really serve a purpose. It's cool looking. Sure. Like it's, it's a great shot of the camp to kind of give you perspective of how everything's laid out. But why was she up there? Like, it's not really furthering the story. Um, and that, that's the big thing for me. But again, there's not a whole lot of negative parts, in my opinion, on this. Like, I, we're nitpicking, right, at this point. Exactly. Because this episode I, is yeah. is great. Yes. We get uh, more Aram and the Tinkers. I think Aram, they've really captured almost perfectly. He's so great. great. Even down to the point where he's like... Um, he still like kind of lives the way of the leaf, but at the same time, he kind of makes fun of it mm-hmm. um, where he's like, Oh, the song, you know, it's just an old wives tale. Uh, and that we'll obviously see develop yeah. more of his character later. Um, but Perrin is really great in this episode. Yeah. It's just, I really actually think that bes- um, the CGI for the weaves were, was a little bit better in this episode than, Agreed. and I don't know if it's just because it was during the day, maybe the lighting had something to do with it. Cause the last time we saw it was at night, but it didn't look as bad. Um, it actually looked good in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And we got to see Moraine be super strong. Um, we got to see a peek into the madness that men experience when they are, which I actually really enjoyed that because we never actually see if Loghain is going mad or has any symptoms in the book. So it's nice to kind of see something. Because I had the adverse reaction to that. I got frustrated again, but I don't want to explain why i got frustrated until we get to the idea of us spoiling some of the books right because Mm -hmm. that is something that um and i'll be transparent with anybody that's listening um we have heard some of the frustrations that have been expressed on some of the reviews on our apple podcast and it has made me realize that we were maybe a little bit harsh in the first couple episodes and that is something that has been important for me to try to embrace like being more respectful to some extent where if we can do any little part to make sure we're not spoiling something for you guys without 
you guys realizing we're about to spoil something. That's something I want to be mindful of because I felt like we had discussed that this was going to be a, a comparison thing, but I want to make sure that we're being mindful of that. So I don't want to like discuss why that frustrated me until we get to that point. But I had the adverse reaction that you had. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So, well, I can't wait to jump into that uh, real quick since we haven't talked about it and we're, there's really not much else to talk about. Uh, Nynaeve has an explosive use of her power. We see that she can actually embrace the one power. She heals everybody in the room except for Karenne, who's already dead, uh, which was really cool. Um, actually significantly heals people because Lan's basically dead and she heals him. I think what's cool is right there, they've established what you find out later on in the books that you can heal people, but you cannot bring them back from the dead. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like that was a really cool way to establish that principle where she is bringing somebody back from the brink of death, but she can't resurrect somebody. Right. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool way to do it. I agree. I agree. And then uh, we see Matt and it's kind of been hinted at over the first, uh, well, really, I guess, episode like two and three uh, that there's something more to this dagger that he's found. And we see that coming to fruition a little bit in this episode and actually in a really graphic way. Um, we see the same goop that was in Shadar Logoth coming out of him and out of the dagger. Uh, so obviously there's some nefarious things there. And I actually really liked when he was in the house and he pointed up into the shadows and he says, mm-hmm. I see you kind of like starting to lay that groundwork that, you know, this is something new and something different. So, yeah. And it's almost like expressing the idea that it, I feel like they did a, had a really, they did a really good job at subtly implying that it's evil. Right. Yes. Because like sure it's implied when land talks about not touching anything within Shadar Logoth and all of that type of stuff, and then he does anyways and it's almost like they fixate on it a little bit to kind of give you that air that maybe it's something menacing Mm -hmm. but i felt like this was the first time that they were like this is allowing him to see the, uh, for lack of a better term the dark side a little bit more and i thought that was really cool yeah definitely and i touched on it a little bit earlier but we really see tom uh, and his character a little bit more in this episode. He opens up about his nephew Owen and what happened to him, and he really sees you know these two Owen and these two boys and wants to help them. And he actually flat out says, "I'm just going to stay with you guys. I'm going to help you." Um, so much so that he flings himself at a fade and fights. And that fight scene was actually dope as fuck. Them fighting each other was really I cool. Agree. I thought about that. Like that's. I thought that to myself when at one point he's like, like twirling around, slashing at the dude, blocking everything. I was like, this is what I expect Tom to be. Yes, like, this is what what you picture him as in the books. So I was excited to see that come through. Yeah, really very cool. very cool. Um, I think we've gone over everything. Um, is there anything else just episode related that you wanted to go over and review? I mean, I think we no, both kind of expressed that yeah. this is a great you know direction that we see it going so yeah no uh, yeah like i said nothing that we haven't already hit on because i think it's all going in the the right direction perfect okay all right well we will uh switch over to comparing it to the book Uh, if you don't want spoilers uh from the book then go ahead and dip out now we hope you enjoyed our podcast up until 
this point. Um, so yeah, if you listen beyond this point, we're comparing book to show differences, and there probably will be spoilers um, from the book. So just keep that in mind. All right, so let's start with Loghain. Um, yeah, what what didn't you like about it? <laughs> tell me, tell me. So I I liked the air of mystery of Loghain in the books, not knowing if he was just hiding the fact that he was going mad mm -hmm. well and didn't want to play on that because he needed to insert an air of power. Essentially, like I, I really enjoyed that dynamic. Um, and I think that the main frustration with what we saw was one, this is a complaint from the standpoint of the x-ray thing that Amazon prime does where right when that happened, I heard the voice and I was like, did I miss something? So I, I clicked back, listened to it again. And I was like, that was a female voice. That's kind of weird. So I highlighted over the episode and it broke down the x-ray and it actually gave this voice a name which I thought was very weird. So I was like, did I miss something? Like, is there an introduction of somebody here that I had blinked and missed? And I thought, so I thought that was weird, but my frustration with it goes even further with more, I, Moraine kind of dampened it a little bit at when she talks about that was the voice of madness in your head where she kind of like nips that in the bud. But my frustration when I first saw it was this is going to cause question on when Rand starts hearing loose Theron in his head, right? Mm -hmm. So because it was such a weird thing for Rand to be going through and you hadn't heard about this up to this point, you'd heard about them going mad but they hadn't really established what mad was for anyone. So when you start hearing this, it's almost this like air of mystery in the books where you wonder if Rand is going mad. Like if it, there's kind of that like little like weirdness going on. And I felt like that's going to take away from it later because it's almost like if they've established that Loghain is going mad and he's hearing voices and then Rand all of a sudden is thrust into this position where he is the dragon reborn. And now all of a sudden he's hearing voices is the audience going to immediately wonder if he's going mad instead of the impact of what loose Theron actually is as a person in Rand's life throughout the books. And that's my frustration with it. And it, it can kind of go both ways, right? Where it's going to do the same thing that I liked that it did in the books where by not establishing that Loghain was dealing with this and then Rand dealing with it in his own um, you're kind of left to be like, well, is he going mad? Because it doesn't sound like Loghain was dealing with this because they never mention it. But now they've mentioned it with Loghain and they've established that it is him going mad. It makes me feel like this is just, they did it only for the sake of when and if they introduce it with Rand, are they going to try to throw you off the scent of him being the dragon reborn again? by introducing this to him right so it felt like a cheap ploy to continue the mystery when again and maybe this is just me and i don't understand the mystery behind the dragon reborn it doesn't the, the other roles of all of the other characters are so dynamic that it doesn't make sense to make it like put the dragon reborn as the pedestal role that you want to be when all of the other characters are so well done in the books yeah, I agree. And, and that's why that's why I had the frustration with it. I thought it was cool that they used almost this like because it goes back to you talking about Moraine not being able to see the power of a man wielding the one power. 
or the weaves of a male wielding the one power. It's cool that they show them within that like kind of same ideal where it's that like wispy black form, which mm-hmm. is cool because that means that like only Loghain is seeing this only right. Um, whatever. And so it, it kind of goes a little bit both ways for me, but that's why I wasn't as happy with it as you had kind of expressed. Yeah. And I was just kind of, glad to see it i guess um one thing i did think about that i just remembered uh with you kind of talking about it it does seem like they are leaning heavily into the schizophrenia type Mm -hmm. of madness which i mean i guess is how you could describe most of their madnesses but it's right now the madness that we've seen from the random dude in the beginning Mm-hmm. And from Loghain is people talking to them that aren't there. But the yeah. madnesses are very unique to each person yeah. in the book. And they're like really random. Like some people uh, like just see spiders all over the place or like one guy um, sees fades everywhere. Yeah. Um, even though they're not real, he can never tell if they're real or not. And like lives in this constant state of paranoia because he thinks fades are constantly watching him. Um so, I mean, I guess all that could still fall under, like, the schizophrenia-type madness. Um, mm-hmm. But it does seem like they may be leaning more towards everyone who goes mad in this world is just going to have voices talking to them. But we'll see. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, it it kind of goes back to, uh, again, nitpicking here, because I, I want to, again, reiterate that this episode brought me back in in a way that I didn't think one episode could, where I was so on the fence after the first three episodes that I was like, man, they're going to have to do a lot in this next episode to really grab me again. And they did. So like, I don't want to like sit here and act like what is going on is bad. It just goes back to, again, the allotment of money seems weird to me where Mm -hmm. the first opening scene of the entire show with the random dude running and Moraine overlooking them as they're like capturing him, all of this type of stuff. It feels weird to establish that he was seeing a real person. Well, he was seeing a flesh and blood person. And then the next time you see a guy going mad is a wisp version of somebody whispering to him. Mm -hmm. That's where it's almost like the production value on some of this stuff is a little bit lacking because it's almost like they forgot that they established this as being madness. And then the next time they show madness is a non flesh and blood form of somebody. And that again, very small little nitpicks there, but you feel like when you have a cast and crew that is getting paid what they're getting paid to go through all of this, that's something that should be established throughout, unless they're going that route that you were saying where madness affects men in different ways. Yeah. And actually you may have just kind of debunked my worry where we technically have seen two different versions of madness, even though it was, people you know whispering and talking to somebody you know we do see two different versions of that so maybe that that is the way they're going um do you want to jump into i think matt's situation's probably the biggest uh difference Mm -hmm. if we're comparing uh book to um well besides the fact that the dragon sworn tried (laughs) to take logan back that didn't happen at all but yeah uh (laughs) So we see Matt do so in the book, he just kind of gradually gets more and more paranoid until he like becomes a recluse and can't come out into the light. And he like 
gets into this like fetal position ball and the only thing that like moves is his arm with the dagger like he gets mm-hmm. really really bad um but he never ends up killing anybody uh so we've seen his situation like get thrust forward in the extreme so he's being completely controlled by the dagger rather than it being kind of a slow buildup of paranoia and stuff like that. And he has killed this family. So I kind of wanted, wanted to ask you about that. I don't think he actually did. I don't think he actually oh, killed you the think family. The, you think I the think fade? it was the fade. And he just and walked I- in there and was being... And the okay. one key to that is because I thought that too. I was like, oh my God, they just made Matt kill this family. Um, when he points the dagger at the fade, there's no blood on it. And that to me was a big tell that he was in fact the one that didn't kill them. And it was instead the fade. And he had come in being like, there's a fade here. And that's why he was so shocked to see the girl out in the street or out in the the yard wasn't because he had killed her, but it was because he had stumbled. He had was trying to essentially rescue them and stumbled in and was like, Hey, I'm going to fight this fade. And that's, they just happened to come in at the right time. Again, could be wrong. Um, the fact that the fade is in the house leads me to believe the fade got there first. And then Matt came in. That's why I'm wondering if the, the family is killed by the fade. But again, I don't know if there not being blood on the dagger was purposeful or if they had just didn't put it on there because they didn't know what to do when he had pointed at them. But that was my interpretation of it is that when he had pointed, that's the first thing I look for is I was like, is there going to be blood on the dagger when he points? That I think might be a great catch. That's awesome. I think you might be right. So, and I do think it's interesting that they went the route that they did to try to increase the mystery behind. Uh, so again, this is all what I like about this episode so much, and it's not really tying it into the book. Um, but it's the idea that I guess it kind of is because like something we hit on in the past was that we wish that the mist had been more, I guess in Shadar Logoth had been more misty instead of this like weird, like corrupting almost fungus type thing mm-hmm. where knowing what we know about the way that the, the male people cast, it almost is like a, they play on the black idea behind the myth, mythical power behind it. And then you see that kind of like seeping out of Matt. So they're almost using this as like a way to like portray him as possibly going the same route as Loghain because he's inhabiting that like black essence that you see with male casters. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really well done from the standpoint of playing on the strengths that they established earlier, which I thought that was really cool. Um, I was not at all expecting them to use him going mad over the dagger to portray that he is now lining up to be the dragon reborn yeah 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 they definitely uh well i mean tom flat out says that he's kind of doing the same stuff that he witnessed owen do when he was going mad so that i think that's definitely why that's in there uh, and why they pushed it forward so quick um so the I don't think that there's really much to talk about when we're talking about Egwene and Perrin. Uh, Their journey with the Tinkers is basically what's happened in the books. There's not really any difference that I can think of, except that we still have no Elias. Yeah. 
Um, and now I'm wondering if we're even going to get him, man. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. I said that to myself when I was watching this last episode. I was like, I feel like if we don't get Elias, there's like midway through when they touch back with Perrin and Egwene. I was like, if we don't get Elias now, I don't know that we will. Yeah. Which and is a bummer. The only saving grace to that is that we didn't get any more wolves or talk of wolves in this episode. So there is still kind of that, and we know that they have to, you know, the wolves have to come back because Perrin's not manifested yet. Uh, So, and by this time he had in the books, he had Mm -hmm. started to manifest. So we'll uh, just have to wait and see. They may have just pushed that aspect back. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, um, Tom, you know, we see him fights kind of a similar situation in the book, but it's at Whitebridge when he jumps at the fade and fights him so the boys can get away. Uh, do you think that we're going to take a long break from Tom, uh, like in the books, or do you think that uh, we're going to have him come back pretty quick and be reintroduced much earlier? So I hope we don't get a long break from him um, because I'm starting to like the direction that we're going right now with all of them. But so I'm on the fence about it. I, because of the way that the pacing has been so far, I don't know that they could, I I almost feel like you could establish a long break without giving us an actual long break, right? Where it might be an episode off, but that doesn't feel like that long of a break because of the amount of ground that they're covering each episode outside of this last one, especially in the first three, that a long break for Tom could be an episode and then they end up wherever they end up. But at this point, because they've chosen to do the progression of where they're going from city to city in such an odd way, I feel like it would be weird to force a long break because I don't know the next natural starting area Mm -hmm. that he would come back in unless you go all the way to Camelin. If that's the direction we're going to end up getting, if we're going to get Elaine in the show and we're going to get them going back to show like them showing up in Camelin and all of that type of stuff. Then I wonder if we're going to get Tom introduced there to introduce him as that like weird struggle between him not being in the noble court anymore, but understanding politics and kind of establishing him more as a character than just a gleeman. Mm-hmm. I could see them going that route, but I don't, because I don't know where the show is going from here it's hard to predict whether we're going to get a long break. I, I hope not because I feel like, again, he's one of the the strong characters coming out of this episode that felt like it was pushing the show in the correct direction. Yeah. Where I feel like if you take him out of the equation, um, it would be a little bit weird because they've already shown that some of that type of stuff isn't as important to them. So it feels weird for them to force that scenario. Yeah. Uh, so when we compare it more to the books, the time that we have with Tom up until this situation happens in the book is much longer. It's Mm -hmm. halfway, basically. You get half of this thick book, 400 pages or so, with Tom, uh, because he's at the beginning. He's in the very beginning. He's in Emmons Field, uh, which we didn't get in this. He's introduced much later. Um, So we've basically only had him for two episodes. So... While we like his character, and I hope most of the audience likes his character, if we do end up having this long break, and as you were talking, I remember there's promotional imagery of them standing outside the Waygate, and I don't think Tom is with them. Yeah. Um. So we know at least he's not going to be around until after that, maybe. Yeah. Um. 
So will his return or his, you know, seeming loss be have the same impact that it did? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, we'll see. Uh, and another thing I thought of while you were talking and kind of describing when he would come back, we we're in episode four. And I there's only eight episodes, right? In episode yep. or in season one, we've got a lot to cover. A lot to cover in four episodes. Like I know we've complained about the first three episodes being a sprint, but the last four episodes really need to be like yeah. a drag race almost, because there is a ton in the back end of this book that needs to fit in. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, I yeah. wonder if. It'll be interesting to see where they stop or where we go because we haven't met Min yet, but we know she's been cast. We haven't met Elaine yet, but we know she's been cast. So we have to assume that they're at least going. And I'm wondering now if they're going to bring Min and put her in Camelin. That's what I'm wondering. I don't think we're going to get to Berlon at this point or Whitebridge. Agreed, because they've already talked about Berlon being a thing. Yeah. Um, which leads me to believe that they're not, that they've already traveled through Berlon, which is weird because if I remember correctly, there was a promotional trailer that suggested that they were getting, we were getting a scenario with Moraine getting them out of Berlon. Hmm. I could be wrong. I felt like there was a trailer at one point where she was confronting a white cloak um, in a quote unquote menacing way. And I just assumed that was going to be her getting them out of Berlon when she right. grew in size. Yeah. But uh, again, maybe I was interpreting the trailer incorrectly. But again, they could all compile that into Camelin, right? Like they if could, yeah. If that's the direction we're going, that could be the reuniting of the characters in Camelin, where we get the introduction to Loyal still, and then Loyal introduces them into the Waygate at that point, and then we get the Waygate to Shinar. Is mm. kind of the pacing that I'm expecting. Yeah, I guess they could fit. So if if all of that gets pushed into Camelin, you could almost have episode five be them reaching Camelin. Mm-hmm. Episode six be, you know, all those different meetings, introductions, confrontations. Episode seven be the way gates. Episode eight be the, yeah. you know, the finale. So I yeah. guess maybe it's not going to be that much of a drag race but it feels like there's a lot still to accomplish well i think what feels weird to me is because you said this early on in our first couple episodes how many seasons is it seven seasons that they're doing they want to do eight seasons i believe i couldn't remember if it was seven or eight it feels weird to compile to take up an entire season to fulfill one book but also i don't know how they could do it any better because like i'm going to be annoyed if the eye of the world scenario happens maybe in episode seven. Like that would feel right, weird yeah. if they do episode seven and then they kind of leave you in this weird position where the eighth episode almost feels like it's just set up for season two instead of like a cliffhanger. Because I think a good cliffhanger would be introducing the dragon reborn and kind of letting you almost like settle with that idea would be an interesting cliffhanger i would brace yourself for that because i think i read an article that had rafe insinuating that that mystery may go into season two (laughs) i just don't know i don't know how you can get a good eye of the world climax fight that we that we see in the books with i know the mystery still being there yeah unless you're going the route of a gwayne battling the forsaken and moraine and you're left with that and none of the the men have channeled right like that would be the only route that i could see that that sets up a scenario that goes through um 
but we'll see. Yeah. I uh, should be good though. Again, this it's amazing on how your and I's outlook on this has completely shifted from the first three <laughs> episodes to now. Yeah. That I'm in a much more hopeful spot than I was at the end of the first. Yeah, three episodes. same. I was even so bummed that when me and Corbin recorded the Nerdosphere, we mm-hmm. uh, talked about Hawkeye, which is an amazing show. If you guys want to hear us talk about Hawkeye, go check us out at, over at the Nerdosphere and we'll uh, let you know what we thought about it. But uh, he asked me about it at the beginning and I was like, I was so down, man, when I was talking about it. I was like, I'm just so sad. <laughs> yep. But after watching episode four, like I've really come around. I'm really hoping mm-hmm. that it just continues. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I can't remember now. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Yeah, no, I mean, as a whole, I uh, going back to the way I, I thought – Again, the way that they've introduced stuff now just makes so much sense. Like it again, it was issues we had in the first three episodes that because of this one episode has put a lot of uh it's put a lot of that to rest for me. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I remain hopeful. Um I can't think of anything else that really um bothered me all that much other than again. I coming from a book standpoint, I get concerned with the lack of certain characters being introduced as of this moment. Right. Doman being the main catalyst for the concern here because he plays a part later on. I mean, by book 10, he shows back up in a pretty major way. Yes. Intermingled with the Sean Chan that that's the still the major concern for me coming out of all of this is it's it's the lack of character introduction at certain points that leads me to believe that they're going to misplace certain things later on. But again, if we get follow-up episodes like this where things are established in a well and meaningful way coming out on the other side, then I don't have a problem with them changing the details a little bit for the show purpose. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, we had... What was I going to say? Oh, Alana, I think, uh, was pretty book accurate. I'm just trying to think of like things that we hadn't talked about that to compare it to the book. Um, Karene, I think was her name. She's actually from New Spring. Uh, yeah. She's mentioned for a chapter or two in New Spring um, and was killed by a black sister along with her uh, warder. Um, so it was interesting to see. I mean, I guess for New Spring, like... I actually never read New Spring because I just wasn't interested in knowing about Moraine or Land before the the series. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. Maybe I'll go read it. But that's probably cool for people to say, oh, that's that person. Mm -hmm. When they probably could have used, like, there's so many Aes Sedai that, like, probably need to (laughs) come to the forefront. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, There was also one of the warders wasn't. Uh, correct, but they. I was looking into it, and they changed his name to some to another warder that's in the series because they were afraid that his name would get confused with Owen, because uh, yeah. his name is like Oween or something. Yeah. So for the casual audience, they didn't want to get uh, Tom's nephew confused with that warder. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think that's basically the big big differences. So, yeah. oh, the dream, really quick. Yes. Um so we see a better look at uh the shadow figure in the dream. Um 
I'm still kind of really bummed that we don't have any interaction with Baal Zaman, who is mm-hmm. the shadowy figure in their dreams up until this point. Cause I don't know, like what kind of, what kind of buildup is, are we going to, I guess is my question because yeah. it's just right now a, a scary dream. Whereas in the book they established early on that these aren't just bad dreams that they're having because you know, the dark ones after them, like this is Balzaman in their dreams, talking to them, trying to figure out who is the dragon. So I'm, I'm just a little bummed at, at their handle on the, on the dream. Agreed. Because, uh, and again, it feels weird because you feel like the conversations you get in the book can't happen in the uh, in the show as well. But I I love the conversation between Belzaman and Rand, like in mm-hmm. the dreams. I think it's I think it's a great conversation where it kind of alleviates that frustration that Corbin had where he feels like the dark one hasn't been established where if you introduce a conversation between them and introduce the hatred that is shown towards Rand in the dreams or even the temptation that is shown where Mm -hmm. he's trying to tempt Rand to the other side it kind of leads you to believe or it kind of like establishes a little bit of what the dark one's all about and they've left that out and it feels weird to me when they're playing on the mystery of who the dragon reborn is that now both dreams have focused purely on Rand yes. where it feels weird to want the mystery to be there, but not have it focus on somebody else. Well, we the, did have the, we had one dream from parents point of view. Oh, we did. I, okay. Yes. I do remember that. Um, I guess that is true. Yeah. So, and they've all talked about having the dreams mm-hmm. But it that that kind of struck me as interesting that they went that route instead of showing. I felt like this would have been a perfect episode to introduce a dream with Matt. Yeah. And I, if if it had been me and you wanted to play on the idea that maybe he did, in fact, kill the family, I think they could have done a really cool dream with Matt feeling like he was killing his friends and then waking up out of the dream having killed the family. I think that would have been a cool way to kind of add to the allure that we don't know who the dragon reborn is at that point. Yeah. Uh, But again, they kind of alluded to it a little bit when they showed blood on Matt's hands, when he walked by Rand in the dream. Right. Yeah, that's true. So, So, but I don't know. I I agree with you. I wish, I wish the shadowy figure in the dreams was kind of talked about a little bit more because I feel like that has been established for book readers with no substance to why this is important for, the average viewer. Yeah. And it's almost exactly uh, the same situation that you brought up when they show the heron on uh, Tam's sword. There's, there's been no talk at all Mm -hmm. of the heron, none, but we do get that split second focus. So people know that it was like important. They may not even know it was important. They may just be wondering why they (laughs) focused on the sword like that. Uh, So, um, one last thing we're basically to the end, but, uh, I wanted to bring this up because I thought about it. I wanted to get your thoughts. One thing I think that uh, this series, and this kind of ties into like the impact or the feel of importance with uh, the Dragon Reborn and the Dark One. Uh, the reason in the books that people are afraid of the dragon is because he went mad 
and broke the world or started the breaking of the world. Uh, we learned later that it wasn't just because of him. It was because all the male Aes Sedai who started going mad and then even <laughs> some of the women, like, I guess, participated as well. But, yeah. um, but the reason people are afraid is because men who channel go mad and if the dragon is reborn, he's going to go mad and probably break the world again. And that's why people are afraid. And we we find out that this war in this version, uh, either male or female could be the dragon reborn, which is fine. Uh, but in this episode, we, we hear uh, them say that females have tried to proclaim themselves as the dragon. So that doesn't track for me because if a female says, I'm the dragon reborn, wouldn't everyone say, sweet. Yeah. You're not going to go mad. Yes. You're going to save us. You're not bad. Yes, exactly. So that, that, uh, them trying to add that as, you know, kind of add to the mystery of our, uh, two rivers folks and add to the inclusion of the prophecy to include the possibility of Nynaeve or Egwene being the dragon reborn has kind of opened up a strange, loophole or a strange chip in the armor that is like the prophecy of the dragon and why the world is like scared of that yes yeah and i and i agree because that struck me as weird when they spoke on that front because it again it was one of those that feels like a chink in the armor when if they had just followed the idea that the because again it goes back to the frustration that I talked about where pulling Egwene and Nynaeve into this narrative that they could be the dragon is taking away from their story arc that we get pretty early on into the first book where they understand that they're not. And it's the concern about their friends throughout the story mm-hmm. where by adding this in there, it's almost like giving this weird thing where they, it's almost like they threw it in there as an afterthought. So I agree with you. It it felt weird to add that in there when it doesn't add up with what we've established up to this point, which was the reason the world broke was because men went mad. And then now we've harped on men going mad throughout the rest of the four episodes. And then all of a sudden we're throwing in there that, well, a woman could be the dragon reborn. But if the fear is like you were saying that they're going to go mad and break the world, well, women can't do that. We've already established that they don't go mad when they use the power. Yeah. So I agree. It felt, it felt really forced for the sake of forcing something in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all just to build. And I mean, I kind of get it. I actually read uh, an article that kind of defended that um, bringing Egwene and Nynaeve into the potential and it gives for the show purpose, it gives them a better reason to flee the two rivers, Mm -hmm. especially with how quickly the show like jumps into it. Which I agree, and I actually hadn't thought about. Um, but again, overall, there is kind of just little chinks now because you know everybody's afraid of the dragon going crazy and breaking the world again, destroying the world. But if the dragon's reborn as a female, it's not going to happen. I think you would want that. If a female yeah. proclaims herself as the dragon reborn, I would think that people would flock and try to f- almost force. You don't think that the Aes Sedai yeah. would try to force the... Uh, prophecy to happen if a female um proclaimed herself as the dragon reborn yeah exactly i think so (laughs) um which again could be what we see in the next 
episode because now all of these women have seen Nynaeve channel to an extent that true. I wonder if that will be a, yeah, you're right. That may be a thing, especially since they kind of had the foreshadow of Moraine saying your power, even though he's super powerful, would only be a candle to a sun. And then he says that again, whenever Nynaeve explodes with her power. So that's a good point. Maybe we'll see these Aes Sedai kind of think, Oh, maybe you're, yeah, and it could it could spark the infighting that we see with the betrayal the in the betrayal it to some extent with Nynaeve and Egwene being handed over to the Shan Chan when they show up betrayed by I forget what I said I betrays them takes them is it Leandrin? Uh, Leandrin is a black sister, so These... keep your eyes on her, and I think she is the reason Egwene gets captured. Yeah, I can't remember, but I just remember that she tells one of the Aes Sedai tells them to follow her, and then they like show up, and then she like hands him over to the Shan Chan, but Nynaeve gets away. Yeah, I th- no, no, Nynaeve, I, I can't remember. I again, forgive me because I I wish I had read the books at this point because I don't remember what's happening at that point. But I remember, isn't it? Is it her and Elaine? that go over and Elaine gets away and then meets up with Nynaeve. I don't remember the exact breakdown. Man, but, I can't either. But anyways, I, I couldn't remember when I, I knew Leandrin was a weird sister in the, within the I said, I, I just couldn't remember her exact role. Yeah. She becomes, um, pretty major with the tell Ron Riyadh stuff. Cause her oh, and yeah. the group that kind of are initially found out, they steal all the, um, the Angriel, Tel Angriel, Terangriel, and uh, bounce, and then they run into them, and so they run into them in Ebu Dar, and they run into them yeah. okay. um, in the dream quite a bit, and they actually are the ones who report directly to Mogedian, I think, because yeah. Mogedian shows up and Leandrin's yeah. all pissed because she can't be the big boy in charge. I do remember that? Okay, that so. makes sense. But yeah, anyways, long story short, I'm happy with where we're at. I am bummed out that I didn't have this optimism coming out of the first three episodes because it allowed me very early on into this episode, I realized that this was going in a cool direction. I was like, so I was even more invested in this episode as the episode went on. Right. Yeah, same. Yeah, I was very happy. So uh, we thank everybody for bearing with us for this episode of Wheel of Time Watchers. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, and we are looking forward to the next episode next week. Uh, Again, we are a product of the Nerdosphere. We've got several other podcasts. We've got our flagship podcast where we talk about anything from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. We've got our anime-centric podcast, Anime Ultra. We've got a few other niche podcasts that come and go as content allows, like the more Mando show and Marvel watchers. So you can find all of that and links to those things at the nerdosphere.com. But that will do it for the wheel of time watchers. If you like what we do, uh, scroll down. I almost forgot to do this. Uh, give us, uh, give us a rating and a review. If you like what we're doing, we've got a few handful of ratings. Most are positive. Did have a couple people that, uh, weren't vibing with our, not likeies of the first three episodes, but I think the shows, I think we were pretty clear. I mean, I, I can understand where people were coming from. Um, we had two, two people that weren't very happy with how we were reviewing the first three episodes, but I think we were kind of clear. We may just have not done a good enough job at conveying that we were disappointed, 
but I think we had good reasons why we were disappointed, and but we were still hopeful that the show would get better. And I think that this episode shows that it is going to get better. So we hope you stick with us as we uh, watch it grow. Um, but again, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Adios. Yes.